The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code CAFCOMICS, that's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now... It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Brown. And it is uh, not much news this week, but, uh, man, I am buried under figures. This yeah, is, this is crazy. This podcast has quickly become uh, why DC movies suck and how many action figures there are. Yeah. But the San Diego exclusives <laughs> uh, from the companies that were kind enough to let you order online are starting to ship. So I got uh, NECA which uh, everybody says is Nika, and I like to say Nika. Yeah, it's like if they're still calling themselves NECA, time to change to Nika. Yeah, they have shipped um, Superman versus Aliens and Batman versus Predator, which are some of the nicest Batman and Superman figures anybody's had in the over 15 years that Mattel had the license. Yeah. So the Superman's like a Kevin yeah, Nolan. they're pretty dope. They're both Marvel Legends articulated. Yeah. They're really gorgeous. The rumor is now that uh, for New York Comic Con, they are going to do uh, Batman versus Jokerized Alien, which they initially showed with these figures. They were originally going to sh- uh, sell these retail, and then they had problems yeah. with the DC license. Uh, so they become convention exclusives. But it's a Bernie Wrightson Batman. That's awesome. Uh, with Marvel Legends articulation with an alien that's painted white and green. So Joe and I didn't read the story. Joker Jokerized an alien. I think in the sequel, I had the original Superman aliens, which Bernie Wrightson drew. Yeah. Um. And I, I think I, t- I told the story when he passed away. I went to his house. He had the original on the bed. Yeah. <laughs> pointed to it and said, "Hey, throw that to the side and pull the bed out." <laughs> um, what a guy. But that's coming. And then also, um, Hal Jordan versus Yellow Lantern Predator. Is that like a made up thing? Apparently, there's a predator in the back. Uh, during the Sinestro Corps War, oh, like as an in joke, that's cool. They drew a predator back there because yeah. there were all these scary aliens, sure. and then Nika, we're calling him Nika. Yep, Nika was just like, "Yeah, we'll make that." That's, so they do it. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. So definitely getting those. Uh, the Mezco Commissioner Gordon is shipping. That's going to come on Monday Ooh. with the bat signal. Ooh. Uh, it's, it's almost like what on earth do you display? You know what I mean? It's like uh, the display well, like, has got to keep. Changing. I got that building that Nika made that uh there's not enough floors on it no well right now i've got the justice league on the bottom floor i've got uh 70s marvel in the middle and then i just have a bunch of batmans like i've been slowly phasing out dark knight and i threw an animated one in there i threw that crazy japanese one that has 16 pieces of cape yeah so i don't know what it's gonna become because so much stuff is coming and then the big scary thing is i counted this uh while i was in new york two weeks ago uh, Hasbro released 32 Marvel Legends. Wow, uh, this year or no, coming out? that day. Oh, my God. Yeah. They announced 32 more figures? No, they released them. Oh. So, like... One of these. Yeah, they announced, like, 55 figures at Toy Fair. They released 32 of them 
August 1st. Good God. So I got like 10. Yeah. There's like 22 more. There's more coming. So it, uh, I really, I literally got figures every day since I came back. Partially, it's been like the seven days of Christmas. It was great because it was. Uh, You're so excited. It was partially the way they shipped them. Like I didn't get any sets. I got like one figure here, one figure here. But then I decided to keep that going. Because uh, Hasbro Pulse, Hasbro's toy shop, tends to break up shipments for some reason. Okay. Maybe they have different distribution centers. But I got um, Hulk and Wolverine on Monday when I came home, which is uh, (laughs) first appearance Wolverine in like a perfect classic green Hulk. Uh, Yeah, I'm holding the Hulk now. and I don't know how you make a more perfect Hulk than this. Yeah. And then the next day, Juggernaut and Colossus showed up. Which which is which is awesome. The perfect juggernaut in classes. And Juggernaut even comes with a A busted ass helmet? Yes, which is the cover from uh this uh Lee Week Spider Man cover. Oh, when uh Spider Man gets the power cosmic again. No, it's during Brand New Day. Oh, somebody else has Power Cosmic and beats the heart of the Juggernaut. Yes, it's called Something Can Stop the Juggernaut. It's a follow up. And the cover is like Juggernaut's he- Juggernaut with a black eye torn and, off. Yep, and they made that head yeah, to switch on it's him. That's awesome. Uh, that's actually um uh that was I think there was a Daredevil miniseries before this, and then he did like uh, a one shot Avengers miniseries. Lee Weeks. Lee Weeks, and then he did that story, and I'm like, oh, this guy's he's gonna be great soon. Like, yeah, and he, he was is getting now. right there. Now he's fucking killing it on Batman. I know he's very Mazzucchelli, but yes. in his own way. And so, so they made that extra head in honor of him. And then there were, uh, I didn't even get the MCU sets because I don't have the money. Yeah. Uh, there's a Luis and Ghost set. There's, a what? Uh, oh, Luis and Ghost from, from Ant Man and the Wasp. Okay. There is Gila and Scourge. Yes. There is uh, the first one I'm going to get, but I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, Grandmaster and Korg. Yeah. And there is Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. There is also World War II Ultimate Cap on a motorcycle. I haven't ordered any of those. Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. Uh, Steve Rogers is like private. private. From First Avenger. So it's uh, oh, it's he's Cap in the... in the leather jacket. With the oh, leather jacket gotcha. with the Captain America suit. With the suit. A helmet. Yes. And okay. Peggy Carter's in like the um, military gear. Military gear. Yeah. That's cool. And then I haven't bought any of those yet. And then I still haven't gotten the Smart Hulk Build-A-Figure set. That's six figures I haven't gotten yeah. yet. Yeah. And then two X-Men sets came out, and I've been getting those piece by piece. So I got uh, John Bishamo Wolverine, X-Factor Cyclops, 80s Dazzler, uh, Silver Samurai. I have uh, 90s Iceman and Nightcrawler coming, yeah. and tomorrow Boom Boom and Cannonball are coming, and that's not even all of them. It's an embarrassment of riches. It's, it's an embarrassment of uh, of 90s payment out of yeah. my checking account. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how much this is. Oh, but I'm like totally buried in it. I had to rearrange. I had to rearrange all my bins again. Yeah, I was like, "Up, oh, well, this is gonna get full, and these are gonna have to come out of a drawer and go on a shelf." It's it's ridiculous, but it's totally worth it. This Hulk isn't gonna be available on his own, right? No, that Wolverine's pretty kick ass though. I don't care about Whiskers Wolverine. I want this. I mean, it's Hulk. Al- it's always possible. He's not gonna be available as a standard figure. They may actually. They did make a San Diego exclusive, which I didn't get. Mm-hmm. It, it's that Hulk with the 90s head. So he's got like the shaved sides on his hair. It, oh. It's like um, a, uh, not Liam Sharp, uh, Dale Keown Hulk. 
right. on that body. And I'm like, nah, I don't yeah, need that. No, I this is perfect. Now, this one has like, it's the Herb Trimpy Hulk. Yeah. It's like the big wide face and the giant upper lip. And that guy fucking drew Hulk And the, the matted ever. hair. Yeah. He he drew the first uh, Wolverine. John Romita yeah. Sr. designed Right, Wolverine. but he did the issue. And then famously, Gil Kane screwed up his mask and everybody went, eh, I like that better. That's and better. that became Wolverine's mask. Yeah. So there's a, just a ton of stuff out. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to collect figures and you have about $700 you want to spend, <laughs> you this start is now. a really good week to do that. Mm. I also picked up a Libra Mijo Batman on Amazon. He's yeah. been out for a couple of years because I bought Batman Noel uh, when I was in New York. And I hadn't read that book in a long time. And I was like, yeah, they got to figure this. What drove me crazy about that set, they also have a Libra Mijo Superman. I guess from that, the Luthor series didn't ask. Yeah. It was after they did Joker, they did a Luthor one, which was pretty good. But it was ridiculous. I don't know why they didn't make a Joker figure. They made a Joker black oh, and yeah. white statue. That's kind of weird that they didn't. I know, because I totally would have. What an oversight. It. And I ha- have you read Batman Damned? Um, is that what's going on now? That's the series he's oh, doing. That's where he wiener. showed his penis, yes. Yeah, uh, I think I read maybe two or three issues, and then well, I, was, I lost track of it. There's only going to be three. Oh, so, so okay. you so might have read, read two, and then I gave up. So basically, you're up to date on it. Yeah. Oh, because well, last one hasn't come out yet. No, but the uh, trade is coming out in September. I think, okay. like, right after three, and I'm like, well. Did they airbrush his wiener out of it? I think they did. Yeah. Yeah, I think they gave what it they more thinking? shadows. Oh, idiots. But, uh, but I, you know... I read Joker and Noel, so I'm like, yeah, I should probably read The Damned. How are you liking it? Do you remember? I honestly, I couldn't tell you anything about it. I don't remember. And it's probably partly because so many different Batman miniseries are going on that I am currently reading on top of ones that I was late to the party on. And you're not even a big Batman fan. No, it's like they put a lot of good creators on Batman. So it's like you kind of have to... You're like, they twist your arm. You know, they kind of make you read this shit. Marvel's starting to figure that out with Spider-Man, too. Yeah. There's a lot of Spider-Man. A lot Spider-Man. of Spider-Man. This last week, there was like a one-shot that Peter David wrote about... Oh, that Ron Friends drew. Yeah, yeah. I haven't finished it. I was like half reading it. And well, half... apparently that was um, based on the original story they bought for the black costume. Yes. was they, uh, The story behind the black costume was a fan wrote in and said, hey, I had this story where Spider-Man gets a black costume, and Marvel's like, actually, that's really interesting. We'll buy it from you. And you can write it as a one shot. And then this guy never wrote a comic before. And then he sent in the script and they were like, yeah, we're not doing this. Yeah. And, it, this and now was, they're doing it. D- during the Jim Shooter era. Yeah, they got Peter David to rewrite it. I they wonder did, if they didn't they, get that guy yeah. to do another draft. But they basically, they paid him anyway. And they that gave them the rights to have the black costumes. Yeah. So when they did Secret Wars, they did it. But it's going to be a one shot like Elseworld story of like, oh, this is what this guy wanted to do. Right. Yeah, it's like a secret origin. Yeah, I don't the... think I don't think it's gonna be a symbiote or anything. But I haven't I haven't been by the comic store, so I haven't read that one yet. I'm so behind on everything. We were just talking about I haven't. We read... don't have money for anything because all these goddamn figures. No, I haven't even read past House of X number one. And yeah, uh, we were talking about this just before we hit record. Is um, House of X and Power of Ten are the two ongoing x-men miniseries that is it are power go- of 10 or is it power of x power of 10 Ooh, yeah clever yeah very clever uh so they're every other week you get a new issue so we've had one house of x the first week yeah then power that. of 10 we talked about that last and week. then house of x 2 came out this past wednesday and uh we'll stay away from like spoilers or whatever because you haven't read it no i don't but, want you um, to spoil it for me no, I won't. Uh, but uh, it's my favorite issue so far. And it's like uh, not a lot of more world building. Just like, man, Hickman just he's got this way of like coming at a well-established thing from like a different angle mm-hmm. and like killing it. 
and uh, I'm all in. It's like uh, if this this book makes very little sense to me uh, because I'm probably not smart enough to like wrap my head around it. It'll probably read better in a trade. Yeah. But uh, I am all on board this new X-Men direction. And well, that is refreshing to say after like 12 plus years uh, of not being able to read fucking X-Men comic books. I know, since Joss Whedon left. Yeah, honestly, I think uh, I, I did read, I think it was after Whedon left, they did recommended it Uncanny X-Force, which was excellent. Um, I got totally lost on that. I tried to go back and read the trades and it was one of those books that got rebooted. Yeah, you That do. I was like, I read one remender and then I read a volume two that was Chris Yost, who I don't like. Yeah, definitely and, a different story. And then I was like, I can't follow this. Wait, people have changed and I... Same thing happened with Jason Aaron's Thor, and he's the same writer, but... Yeah, they made those trades impossible to to read because everything's a volume one everything's volume one there's like three volume ones for jason aaron's thor run yeah and i just um, i just if you if it. you can't find it if uh itunes or whatever i don't know where people there get is their digital omnibus. comics yes i've got the omnibus uh just read it oh maybe you can lend me that. i could certainly lend it to you um they keep making x-force marvel legends and i just keep selling them because i i had the uh the x-force deadpool was in the last one and i'm yeah. like i'm like i don't want a black and white deadpool and now this next set one of the figures i haven't gotten yet is x-force wolverine yet again right and i'm like stop selling me the same characters in black well because but and i know i'm gonna end up regretting that because yeah the apparent, you'll want them well and there was a san diego exclusive of archangel and uh, Psylocke that yes. you cannot find and they're right. like 700 bucks. That's crazy. Uh, which is uh, ironically how much you would spend right now. For... Right, yeah. <laughs> On Marvel Legends. Yes. Um, well, uh, we had a topic. Uh, John, you had a good idea about this that it's like underrated runs. Yeah, so that was something uh, with, I was thinking about with Hickman's run and uh, we were talking about the shooter era. Uh, everybody talks about the best runs of each character and I think most people agree like you'll be it'll be hard to say to find somebody who's like I don't like Chris Claremont's X-Men I don't like Peter David's Hulk I don't like Frank Miller's Daredevil yeah not it's a lot like, of folks are saying that no the peak run I think everybody everybody can agree, on. can agree on but I think personally we all have these runs that we just adore and I know there are runs that I have that are well known but that I put way above some of the other stuff. And I constantly have people ask me like, Hey, what should I read for Batman? What should I read for Spider-Man? Yeah. And I don't want to go, Oh, read the killing joke again. Read the dark right, Knight Returns. Everyone recommends that stuff. Right. You know, read the Todd McFarlane and Spider-Man or yeah. read, just go read Stan Lee's Spider-Man stuff. So I thought it would be maybe Maybe we could turn this whole episode, uh, into our greatest thing in the world of every run that we like. Yeah. I would actually say, because it might be underrated, I don't know if it is or not, but that Uncanny X-Force by Rick Remender, I love that book. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it's probably my favorite apocalypse story. Um, and he's barely in it. So it's like, that's the bigger villain. It starts with it, and it goes mm -hmm. all the way till the end. Then he was just doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, had really good artists working on the book at the time. Uh, and uh, I'm not... I, I like inherently don't like X Force because it's like nineties nonsense. Well, you don't like, yeah. You, but, but this is not they rebooted that team at all. Y, well, it's interesting. So they rebooted X Force before this book, and uh, the concept was a really cool concept for X Men. It was basically Cyclops goes to Wolverine and he's he's basically like, look, we we're gonna put together like an, a Wetworks X Men team. You guys are gonna go out and assassinate 
threats to mutant kind off the books kind this, of thing. Yeah, and this is also when they started making Cyclops darker and yeah. darker until they eventually turned him into a demon and a, a villain. A villain, yeah. Ba- basically. basically yeah. Demon. And then they killed him off until <laughs> yeah. until Hickman decided he wanted to use him and then he Yeah, they brought him back and for reasons. Yeah. Uh, but so that initial concept's really great, but it started out as like a terrible book. I think that was the Chris Yost run. Probably. Yeah. A disgusting art. And then they... Well, Chris Yost was a guy who uh, wrote a lot of the Marvel animated direct-to-video movies, which weren't good. Some of those I liked. I liked the Hulk Versus was cool. Yeah, Hulk Versus Wolverine was good. A lot of the other ones I remember. Like Iron Man, Doctor Strange. Yeah, they weren't great. I'm not a Chris Yost fan. I feel like he tends to lean into the cliché really hard i'm just like really you can't think of anything to say other than he plays for keeps yeah (laughs) come on (laughs) or or it's over yeah it's um he just goes back to his drawing board you know he's got them all written down yeah he's usually by the numbers uh but so he launched x-force and i read one of those and i'm like yep this is kind of what i thought it was gonna be yeah i never came back but uh remender rebooted it um i don't really know where he came from before that i know he was an inker or maybe an artist in the 90s um, but I don't know what he was writing before this that got him this gig, but he got this book and it was phenomenal. And then they gave him on Un- uncanny Avengers and I was very excited and I was very disappointed. <laughs> and then Captain America was the same because he did that run with Romita yeah. Jr. And I was very excited. And yeah. Very disappointed. And I, I, I will say if they put that out in omnibus, I'm getting it because I do want to read it in one run through. I read it in one run digitally and I'm like, not good. He paid off his own story, but I was yeah. like, I'm, I just, I wasn't interested in the premise and I didn't get into it. It was one of those where for me, they announced Romita Jr. on Captain America and it was Maybe the last major Marvel book that he never really drew. He, right. He did a couple of FF specials, but he never did a run on that. And the guy was at Marvel for 25 years. And he did everybody else. He did, every, did a great Hulk run, did a great X-Men, Thor run, did a great Iron, Iron Man, Man, Daredevil. Spider-Man. Spider-Man twice. Yeah. Uh, he's, Thor with Jurgens. Yes. Which is an underrated run, I would say. Yeah, that book, that definitely belongs in there. He basically did every character. And I'm like, oh, great, Cap. And then in the first issue, he gets zapped to like this weirdo. Yeah, I, like, I don't. Dit- co-universe I and i'm like no with the I... premise was the premise was they wanted to do more of like kirby captain america stuff with like crazy goofy designed monsters and stuff yeah. like when kirby comes back and does cap and it's crazy right, when he creates arnim zola yes. and there's a bicentennial issue that is an underrated omnibus because it's nuts you yeah. can't find that one anymore i know either. it breaks my heart you i don't really have want it? it no oh. i i missed it because uh i was had to be a little bit more judicious with my spending in olden times uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, that's one of the ones I'm like, fucking just reprint this, guys. Come on. <laughs> I know. That, that's the problem with omnibuses. Some of them stay in print forever. Yeah. Like, I snapped up the Star Wars Marvel omnibuses when they came out, and then I read them, and I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not going to read these again. Yeah. And then I wanted to sell them, but they're still very much in print. They're all very, available still. Because Marvel printed the hell out of them. Yeah. But then something like... um, Something like Untold Tales of Spider-Man, which is a very underrated run by Kurt Busiek, uh... You could buy those issues were ninety nine cents each, so yeah. cover price it would have cost you twenty five bucks for them. Then I, you could find them in fifty cent bins, so you could pay. Maybe, I think maybe I bought the whole run on eBay for like twelve bucks. Yeah. It came out with an omnibus that was seventy five bucks, and you bought it. Bought it, yeah. Uh, I did too. I bought it for like thirty five because it's such a good run, and now it's like a two hundred fifty dollar. Yeah, it's crazy omnibus. So you never know what's going to go out of print. Yeah, but that, but that run it was so good that I'm like. I'm realizing that my hardcover shelves 
that's my comic book hall of fame where yeah. it's like these are the important books that I want to look at the spine every day and if I need to reference something about a character that's the book I pull down and open up and point to whether or not I have the issues whether or not I have it digitally so uh, Untold Tales definitely fiddled that bill yeah I'd never I had a couple issues of Untold Tales as like a youth uh, when I didn't understand how cover or comics worked like you just grab a bunch of random issues and read them and that's uh, what it used to be <laughs> yeah it used to be but uh, so rereading it in the context of like these all fit in the Ditko era of Spider-Man, it's just like a really cool concept for like a comic. And, uh, and it's it, also Kurt Busiek at his height, like coming off yeah. of Marvel's. Yes. Going like it's literally like a year after Marvel's and he's like, I'm going to write a Spider-Man series. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to read and it? And I think the reasoning is, is that like Spider-Man was like going through this Clone Saga crap. It was so during it was, the Clone Saga. It was kind of like, where's like a classic Spider-Man yes. we can put out there? Yeah, because everything was Ben Riley yeah. and clones and Peter's baby and who's and it was getting, as you said, it was getting so complicated that... There was a pushback, and I was one of those fans who was like, I just want to read Spider-Man. Right. And they were like, well, here's a book we're setting before the original Clone Saga, yes. so you don't have to worry about whether this is Ben Riley or right. Peter Parker. And Pat Olaf's art, it was so underrated. Uh, about a year ago, I was looking on eBay, and there was this really beautiful page, that uh, uh, original page from Until Tales of Spider-Man, that was going for like $75. Wow. It was like nothing. And then, of he course. He probably got paid more than that to do that. You know what I mean? But not much. Probably, probably not much, but still. Yeah, but but that page went, and it's like, you can find, you can find like lower, lower grade Umberto Ramos Spider-Mans for $600. Like, you can find a page of just Peter walking through a hallway right by Humberto Ramos and that'll cost you 600 and this was like 75 bucks yeah. and then of course I didn't bid on it and then I never found an, a page That's that it. nice again but yeah it's completely underrated and Pat Olaf is one of those guys that always works yeah like, he's like a workhorse yeah you don't notice something like Ron Friends is kind of that way but Ron Friends has these major books that he can look back on like he drew a lot of the original spider-man black costume saga he drew a lot of like superman red and blue like yeah. his name he drew a lot of thunderstrike like his name is attached to <laughs> big long popular runs even though he wasn't a superstar yeah um speaking of his uh partner kurt Busiek, one of my underrated runs i'd say kurt Busiek did a a small run on superman uh good lord when was the, this up, up and away I don't know. I don't think so. I think Up, Up, and Away was somebody else. Kurt Busiek did a run where it was basically like, he introduced this new villain called Kyber, who uh, was basically like, explained, superheroes are fine, but if you're an alien superhero, you come from off-planet, and you come to Earth, like a Green Lantern or a Martian Manhunter or Superman especially, you're holding back um, the natural chaos of the world. And it was this concept that like, uh, the waves come and they crash against the shore of society and um, that sometimes they do some damage, sometimes they don't, but it's like the waves are manageable and society can keep moving. But Superman, especially Superman, because he's the biggest, greatest superhero of all time, he's been holding the waves back so much that the waves are now building and building and building and building and that such a wave was coming that it would be able to just completely wipe out society. And it was just this like interesting concept they played with over like a little over a year. Carlos Pacheco drew a lot of it. And this was like the last yeah, great Pacheco artwork I had seen. Um, I'm trying to remember when this like fit in. It was yeah, like I'm... before Final Crisis. 
but after I Infinite s- Crisis. I want to say, and I didn't read it, but I want to say it was um, at the same time that Grant Morrison started doing Batman. Possibly. I feel like uh, I feel like that that was a really good run. I'm rereading now. Um, this is what got me thinking about it. I'm rereading Paul Dini's detective run. Mm. And people, that yeah. I think is the best example of an underrated yes, run because no one was paying attention to it. At Paul the time. Dini created Harley Quinn, wrote some of the best animated series. They gave him Detective at the same time they gave Grant Morrison Batman, and DC promoted it as, "Hey, we canceled all of the other Batman titles, but we have Grant Morrison on Batman and we have Paul Dini on Detective." Right. What well, more do you want? Right. And then obviously, as the run went on, Batman became one of Grant Morrison's. Best runs of his own work. Yeah, signature piece. Yes, so people forgot, literally forgot that Paul Dini was doing Detective. The other thing that screwed his run up was when Grant Marston kills off Bruce Wayne and makes Dick Batman, then Paul Dini had to kind of just do regroup. That. Yeah, so then they can't, so then he left Detective. Detective became a Batwoman series that Greg Rucka was writing, and he started Streets of Gotham, which was really good. Yeah, Streets of Gotham's another one. It's um, And it's really part of his run. This, yeah. The same way that Batman and Robin and Batman Incorporated are part of one Grant Morrison run. Streets of Gotham, and then Gotham City Sirens, which I don't know if you can say that's underrated because you cannot find a single issue of that yeah. series for less than $23. It's crazy. It's nuts. I was never able to complete it. Uh, so I got the trades, and then I sold it, and I made like I sold it for like two hundred bucks. Cool. Like you know, I, I gotta go find mine. Yeah, I bought them all for cover. They're crazy expensive. Yeah, and he only stayed on that book for like the first eight or nine. Yeah, but it was a it is a time. It was like the small window of time DC had. <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, they were doing a lot of interesting stuff. And Gotham City Sirens was one of them. It was like a uh, Poison Ivy, Catwoman, Harley Quinn, kind of like a team up book almost. Yeah. But, yeah, kind of like Birds of Prey, but like yeah, but like kind of what the what the but a little darker, doing. Yeah. yeah. And I just remember reading it, and be like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, uh, it was just a great book, and, and none of was... those characters had their own book at that time. Right. There was no Harley Monthly, there was no Catwoman Monthly. Uh, I think there was no Birds of Prey, so yeah. that was the only place where those characters existed. Right. And Riddler became a big part of that. Part of his detective run was the fallout of Hush. Right around this time, I think. Um, no, it was it was a different. It was after Hush because he did a, some really good Hush stories, but he had rebooted the Riddler as the Riddler was going legit, and he w- was uh, a private detective. And yeah, he, he was, was like helping the GCPD like solve. Crimes. Yeah, and he was a jerk, and he was in Batman's way most of the time, and Batman just kept a close eye on him, waiting for him to slip up. But he stayed within the law, and then he just carried that story over into Gotham City Sirens. And Riddler and Riddler just started showing up there, but it's a really good run, and that happens. That happens with a lot of runs is when you have a superstar on the flagship title. That very often there's a secondary title that is just as good. Yeah, a good example is uh, people, Green Lantern Corps. Yes, when Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Yeah, the Green Lantern Corps book was just as good without all the pressure of being. It has to be great. It has to be great. You know, it could just be a decent Green Lantern story. You know, and it was actually a Green Lantern story, you know, where Green Lantern was uh, on Earth and doing, you know, Earth stuff. This was the who's out in space. It was Guy right. Gardner, John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, being space cops. And, yep. you know, that's what Green Lantern's supposed to be. He was arguably the only one writing Green Lantern it was, as it was supposed to be, you know, and I love Jeff Johnson. Well, that side Green of Lantern. it. Yeah, because Green Lantern's always had the two sides of like right. weird villains in Coast City, and Jeff Johns was staying in that realm. Yeah. And then space. 
Green Lantern Corps stuff and Cap shit. Even going back to the Gil Kane stuff, it would be like alternate issues. Yeah. So that was a really that was a really, really good series. And when Jeff Johns had these big crossovers, he, they fit in so naturally. Whereas like when they did the Sinestro Corps War, it was like the Green Lantern Corps issues were just as good yeah. and added just as much oh, to the story. Yeah. They weren't following it. Like the opposite of that, I um and I don't want to shit on runs, but when Grant Morrison was doing New X-Men, Chuck Austin was doing Uncanny. Oh, right. And Ron Garney drew it for a while, then they had a rotating artist. But it's like, they could, you couldn't, couldn't out keep up with, with Grant Morrison. And yet, so they didn't know what to do with it. They were just like, okay, um, Nightcrawl is in a black suit now. And, you know, uh, Angel is in a teaching a class. And, like, it was so trying to match Grant, but being five steps behind. Yeah. And Dean Neon Detective didn't try to do it. Dean Neon Detective was mostly one-issue stories, and he was just like, look, I'm going to write more adult Batman the Animated Series episodes. Yeah, and that was what was really cool about it is it didn't have to be... Um it didn't have to be what Morrison was doing on Batman. It was it was they were it was a detective book. Yeah. They were actual mysteries that Batman was solving every month or every month. And he six was months. writing to his strengths. Yeah. That he wasn't trying to I don't I wouldn't have wanted Paul Dini to try to be Grant Morrison. Right. Yeah. He was doing exactly what you would want him to do on a Batman. Yeah, there's book. a lot of Harley in there. Yeah. There's a lot of Zatanna because Paul Dini loves Zatanna so much that he married a female mag- magician. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot um, of Zatanna in that book. Funny fact about Zatanna yeah well I don't know if this is funny or not interesting perhaps uh Alex Ross's model for Zatanna is Alex Ross's wife huh yeah that's cool yeah so maybe he's got a little Zatanna love too going on you know yeah and as I said a lot of guys that I worked with in the 90s on indie comics and art asylum are in kingdom come in one sense or another yeah so uh, good good friends of mine who some of them who have been on the show so Alex Ross used to pull in everybody to yeah model I I knew he was using a lot of people's models uh but it was particularly strange to read those big tabloid size books he did like Superman, Peace on Earth, yeah. Batman, War on Crime, because I'd be flipping through it and I'd be like, there'd be my college teachers. Yeah, went to right. the same college. I'm like, oh, that's that's my you know uh, my life drawing teacher, and it's like, oh, because he went here too and used all these models or all the teachers as kind of characters. Well, in I the met books. I met his Shazam once at a convention. I yeah. hung out with him and. He looks just like that. Yeah. We had a guy at work. I think I might have told this story on the podcast before. We had a guy at work. We did a casting call, and the guy applied for the job and said he played Superman. And we were like, what? And uh, he he's the model for Captain America and Superman in uh, – his name's Frank Casey, I think. Okay. And he's an illustrator, but he's also like a kind of actor – and he looks like Superman. He kind of looks like Superman. Alex Ross, Captain America, and he applied for a gig, and uh, he advertises himself as that because he's like, "I played Superman." And like, in what? And he's like, "In comic books." And they'd be like, "What?" And it's like, he's the model of Superman. And now I'm in this conversation. Right. <laughs> I don't think Alex Ross does as much anymore because he's been doing it so long that I think he he does a lot of yeah covers of himself. Now. He's doing yeah. I think uh, he. No, but I mean, I oh, mean, as I far as saying, using, using other people as models. Yeah, some sometimes not. I just read the uh, recently they did that Marvel's epilogue book, right? And what's interesting about it as um, the character that he had the model uh, as Phil Sheldon, the reporter, has aged thirty years since mm-hmm. they did Marvel, so he's now the precise age the character is in the book. So he just had him, you used him again for it. Hmm. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that, but I think he's hopefully, 
and I had this opinion a long time ago, is Alex Ross did a one-shot when uh, Jeff Johns was wrapping up his JSA run, which is like another uh, criminally uh, underrated I never finished book. it. Uh, yeah, it, uh, that is my favorite Jeff Johns thing is his JSA. It's like I would have murdered somebody to get Jeff Johns to do a similar length run on Avengers because he killed. Well, he did a run on Avengers, um, but it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. Yeah, it was good. I really liked it. But to have him followed on that book, Kurt, he followed Kurt Busiek. He followed Kurt Busiek. Yeah. And uh, we'll put a pin in that for a second. We'll come back to it. No, we won't. After <laughs> Jeff Johns' uh, run on Avengers, I can't remember who did the run following Jeff Johns. It was just like it was it was minuscule, it was so small. They only did a couple issues, and then it I, went I into. I want to say Kirkman, but I remember he did a couple of issues of no, Captain America around that time. It wasn't Kirkman. It was. I wish I knew who it was. I'm such an idiot. But it's before Bendis. But before Bendis, because Bendis just kind of wrecked everything. There's this small run in between. Jeff John's leaving and Bendis coming in and it's some of actually my favorite runs. It's it's one of my favorite stories is they did a new Captain Britain story with like the wrecking crew in Europe and the Avengers are like trying to find the wrecking crew and then uh the wrecking crew show up and like this is when Wasp was giant woman and I mean it's like the last time Hawkeye's Hawkeye really. Um, you know, it's like yeah, the, it's, Bendis killed him right away. Yeah, it's like the last time the Avengers were the Avengers, and it was it was awesome stuff. And uh, I don't know who wrote it, but they did like an invader story with like a whole new generation of invaders that were really like right wing crazy people. Um, and just it was a really, really sweet run. I loved it when I was a kid and uh, I've reread it in the last like two or three years and it still holds up. But uh, what were we talking about? Uh, well, uh, we were talking about that, but that remind we were yeah. t- literally talking about things like you just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that reminds me of Dwayne McDuffie's run on Fantastic Four. Yes. That's a really that's, good run. Yeah. That's Paul Pelletier, who's very underrated. Yeah. Um, he did a lot of the original Green- Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern stuff. Like he f- another underrated he filled in for Daryl Ben. Uh, Ron Ron Mars's uh, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern stuff. I was talking yeah. about that the other day. One of my favorite runs of comics of all time. It was just like, I understand a lot of people hate Kyle Rayner. That's fine. Believe me, I love Hal Jordan as Green Lantern more than anybody. It's like uh, my archetype hero. But Kyle Rayner's run as Green Lantern, written by Ron Mez, was like, it was great. Yeah. I loved reading that. We've had Ron Mars on the podcast. Yeah, talking talked about, about that it. run. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that is one of my favorites. What I realized when that was coming out, I was like, oh, DC finally got their own Peter Parker. Yeah, that's actually, I was talking to my boss at work. Uh, we were talking about comics. He's into it a little bit, but not crazy about And uh, I was talking about the run on Green Lantern. Uh, I was explaining Kyle Rayner because he didn't know who that was. And uh, that's how you've explained it before, and that's how I've since explained it. It's like, it is this idea of like this young, inexperienced guy gets handed the most powerful weapon in the universe and has to kind of figure this shit out. And he spends like the first six months of his own book getting the tar beaten out of him by every dude he goes up against. His girlfriend gets murdered. I know there was a lot of like girlfriends in a refrigerator backlash and stuff like that, but it's like, um, I don't think it was ill-intended. No, it kind of works in that story, I think, because it became a trope. Yeah, you know it was little. It was legitimately shocking when I turned that page. Yeah, I mean, I uh, uh I had to dig back to find it because I came in around uh, one of the times Parallax comes back and he's like fighting him again. Uh, and yeah, I remember rereading it and be like, "Holy shit! This is how this guy's fucking career started. His girlfriend gets yeah. murdered." I I was working at a comic store then. <laughs> And read that issue and then grabbed the backing board and then Sharpie wrote, staff pick. Yeah. And stuck it on there. It's crazy. Because, it, yeah, I do really run that, love that run. I think it's great up until at least 100. It's like, 
Yeah. He keeps going for it's a while, solid. but it's a really good run up to there. And, you know, it was coming out alongside Mark Wade's Flash. Yeah, which, which just, is awesome. Which was so good. And yeah. I personally, I don't know if this is underrated, but um, maybe to the rank that I that I hold it, um, I put Mark Wade's Fantastic Four up as one of the greatest runs of Fantastic Four ever. I think yeah. there have been four really tremendous right. runs, and I think that's the one that's been forgotten. Everybody knows Byrne. Everybody knows Kirby. Um, people know Hickman now. As he as yeah. he gets bigger and it's bigger, everybody game, says, well, his Fantastic Four run. Now that he's doing X-Men and he's done Avengers. But the Mark Waite, uh, Mike Ringo run is just, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's the, uh, I've never read another comic that was uh, felt more like, uh, family book like yeah. uh, I have a big family of siblings most of them have been on the show before and uh, there's like a certain level of like ribbing and like uh, you know, infighting and stuff like that and that Mark Wade Micro Wingo Fantastic Four book is the only thing that I've ever read that comes close to like that uh, unit of like family uh, love but hostility you know what I mean it's yeah. like infighting with like Human Torch and Thing but then, like, the older sister caring for, like, Johnny, the younger brother. We have an older sister that kind of takes care of all of us. It's, like, um, it's 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 the only book that really kind of encapsulated that that feeling. Um, it's just an awesome, awesome run. Yeah, there's. it's also really funny. It's, like, yes, timed yes, really well. it is um, great. First time we met Mark Wade at All Yeah Comics, everybody had Kingdom Comes. Everybody yeah. had the absolute Kingdom Come, and... And I brought in the hardcover of Definitely. Fantastic Four, and then uh, he just wanted to talk about Michael Ringo. But there are two jokes that I will that stick with me forever. The first one is a splash page that, as soon as I opened the book, I was like, "I want that original artwork," and I've never seen it for sale. Yeah, but it's it's the thing in the kitchen, and he's he is he's not moving; he's standing still, but he has opened a gift box that says from the Yancey street gang and a pie is like already sprung out and it's still sitting on his face yeah. and it's just dripping down his chest and his arms are at his side where he's just, he's not even mad yet. Yeah. And as soon as I open that book, I'm like, Oh, I want that page. There yeah. was a, and then there was another gag might be that same issue, but there's a subplot where Sue decides that Johnny should learn more responsibility. Yes. So she gives she gives him financial control over the Fantastic Four business. Yes. And it's um about four panels in the last bottom row of the last page. Uh, Johnny is sitting at a desk. Oh. In, in the office I know you, yeah. and, and in a suit, and he's terrified. And Sue's like in the door, and she goes, "Good luck, Johnny. Don't screw up." And then closes the door. That panel is like photocopied three times in a row. And then at the bottom of the last panel, it just says, next issue, Johnny screws up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's, okay. so, it's almost like Jeff Smith bone kind of time. Yeah, that's a great gag. There's another one I thought you were uh, leaning to, and this might be right before that or right around that. And uh, they're explaining to Johnny, you have to do this. You have to, maybe this is like the next issue. He does screw up, but then he learns a lesson or something and he learns how to do it. Well, he sells he like uh, unstable he, molecules. He, or yeah, something. he. he uh, he sell he says I'm not going to sell you the rights because I know that's bad, but I will sell you the fabric. And then the company went great. Let, they try yeah, to reverse. They, they reverse engineer it, and then they create a monster. That yeah, eats that Sue has to take care of. But yep. there's a great gag where they're like listing all the things he has to do, and he's like, "This job sucks. Like, there's nothing fun about this job." And then there's like there's some kind of joke. I'm going to get it wrong, but the joke is something like, "Are there any perks to this job?" 
And uh, they're like, I think the thing's on line six. And he presses a button on a phone, and the thing's voice comes on, and he says something like, hey, I need a you know an advance on my paycheck. I got to get a paycheck. And then you just see Johnny with a shit-eating grin because <laughs> the whole book is him punking the thing for like three years or whatever yeah. it was. It's just uh, it's a joy. It's a joy. Yeah, it's book. a truly, truly wonderful run. And it's uh, it was one of those books, and as we're talking about these underrated runs, uh, I, I tend to go back to – there's two ways you can experience a run like this. And the one is that somebody tells you about it and then you go back through back issues or you find the trade and you read it and you fall in love with it and you go, where was I yeah. when this was happening? Right. How did I miss this? Um, what's the better one is that you are either a fan of the creative team or the character and you're there wow, and you're happening. just getting it. And every month you're like, oh yeah, I'm enjoying this so much. Yeah, There's, I, I remember having that feeling about... Um, uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo when that started when New 52 started you at the store had this deal of like buy every number one and we'll give you absolute long Halloween yeah and I was like well I'll try everything and I want your store to stay open yeah we appreciate it and that. then uh, so I bought everything and I remember the Batman that first issue I was like oh this just went to another level like, yeah because I read the Tony Daniel detective I read every Batman book and and it's that feeling and you don't get it very often in your collecting yeah is that you come rare. in and you feel like well, the special book is on the this shelf. Yeah, there's an it's a nice feeling. It's that's uh, a little bit about how this last issue, of the X Men, was was I was I saw it came out and I was very excited. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to see what they're gonna do next. And there's like that level of excitement of wanting to know what happens next yeah. in the story, and that is a rare feeling. You get it time to time. Uh, it's hard because it's not happening all the time, but there's those books where you're reading where you're just like, oh man, it's like, I can't wait for the next issue of this. And then it, and then that you finish that issue and you're like, holy shit, where's this going from here? It's a high that uh, as, as a comic book addict, you're always trying yeah, to chase definitely. where it's like, we talk so much about like, yeah, I mean, this book's pretty good because you, cause you're not getting that feeling out of it. Right. And a lot of it's nostalgia based where you want that feeling you had as a kid because when you were a kid, you hadn't read any comic books yet. So every comic book felt like that. Yeah. Like I remember being a kid where, you know, everything was still a monthly back then and I would reread the same issue twice a week and just wonder about the cliffhanger. Like my first few issues of Claremont's X-Men, I remember just reading it again and again and again and again. I'm like, I don't know. Kitty, Kitty probably really looks dead at the end of that. I, right. Let me read it again. Maybe I missed something. Yeah. And then you re- and then when you got the next issue, you're like, oh, I didn't think it was gonna go here. Yeah. And you want that feeling. The problem is, uh, you get to that point where you and I have read, not even collectively, individually, thousands of and comic an embarrassing books. amount of comic thousands. Books. Yeah. Like I'm at the point now where I'm embarrassed by the runs I haven't read. Mm. Like, you know, like, because you and I also will go back and buy omnibuses of like, here's all Stanley's Doctor Strange stories. I have to read all of them. Yeah. Which I've done. And they're, which I've done. That's rough to get through. I'm on volume seven of the Batman Golden Age omnibuses. Yeah, you're a trooper. I can't remember stories that were in the beginning of the omnibus I am currently reading. Yeah. But I've read them all. But you read them. In, In fact, with those, the way the archives were staggered, they had reprinted all of the detective comics that were in this omnibus, yeah. but not all of the Batmans. 
because the Batmans were like 52 page books and detectives were like 12 page stories in a book. So they moved a lot slower. Yeah. So as I've been reading these, I'm like, okay, I'll read the world's finest and the Batmans. I've never read those. And then I get to the detective and I'm like, I've read that because I used to have the archive. Right. And I'm flipping through the story and I'm like, I don't, I remember, don't remember this at all, but I've yeah. read it, but so, I know I've read it. So I'm not reading it again. <laughs> yeah, it's a one pass through. Yeah. Um, I'd say um, this didn't occur to me until recently, and I don't know why, because it, it definitely occurred to me while I was reading it, but then, you know, upon reflection many moons later. Um, we always go, go on and on about X-Men. I think we're both big X-Men fans, yeah. but there's one— And we're both slightly frustrated that that's a book that rarely hits the heights it did when it pulled you in. Yes, it's, it's been the most popular book several times in the industry. Yes. And when it's not, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's yeah. very frustrating. I mean, Fantastic Four I can kind of live with because Fantastic Four is this quirky uh, Yeah, I think book, Fantastic but... Four is a hard nut to crack. But X-Men yeah. is like, uh, it should be easier to write than people. Uh, people seem to have a very hard time with it. So it's yeah. really frustrating because it's like, it should just work. Um, Whereas but like, like <laughs> my favorite character is Batman and Spider-Man. They're also hard to screw up. Yes, so they're, they're book, easier to write. That book is usually really it's good. It's usually readable. Because everybody wants to write it. Yes. Everybody wants to draw it. So the editor really just has an embarrassment of riches and just go, oh, I'm going to choose you to write it. Right. And they're, you're going to do a good job. And it's they're both fairly easy characters to understand. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, X-Men is X-Men's big. It's big, it's broad, there's tons of characters, there's a weird tone to it. Yeah. That's like, it can go off. It's hard to nail it down. Well, even Chris Claremont is considered the god. Yeah. There are unreadable years, and not in the beginning of his run. No, it's Towards the the end. Late 80s, early 90s is a nonsense. Yeah. I don't know where it falls in, it's the third omnibus, but the first Brood story. Yep. uh, I... Uh, I only knew about the brood from like the cartoon or whatever. They were kind of in it. And I'm like, this episode sucks. They're giant cockroach monsters. This whole, this is terrible. And I always hated the brood as a villain. I just never got it. And then I read the first brood story in that omnibus. Mm. And that issue or the series of issues is probably 30 or 40 years old at this point. Yeah. It's like early eighties, early eighties. So it's like right after dark Phoenix. Right. So about coming up on 40 years old now. And uh, so I understand that many moons have happened since the X-Men, they were mm-hmm. fine. And I've never been more worried for the X-Men than I was reading that brood storm. Like, they're all dead. They're all fucking dead. Yeah, the, it is the horrifying. So the stakes are so high, and I, I've never felt such a uh, fictional anxiety for characters uh, in comics than I did for the X-Men the first time they encountered the brood. It's horrifying. Yeah, um, that, f- that epilogue issue was the yeah. first back issue I ever bought. I was in like some flea market and I just started reading the X-Men and I'm like 12. So I didn't think to like, I'll buy the issue before my run so I can extend my run. I flipped through them. Everything was a dollar. So I just picked the one with the coolest cover and it's that Paul Smith one where Cyclops is holding Professor X's body. Yeah. And that, I think I mentioned it before, but that double splash panel where they smash in on the new mutants and they haven't, they haven't met the new mutants. The new mutants think the X-Men are dead. So none of them are willing to talk. And they're all ready for a fight. But they're coming in from every angle. Yeah. It's like Colossus it's smashes smash. through a door. Wolverine smashes through the other door. Nightcrawler teleports on top of them. And the way Paul Smith used to draw Cyclops' optic blast, it was the most passive thing. It just looked like a flashlight that destroyed everything. Yeah. It didn't have smoke coming out of no, it. No, it was, like, yeah, very cool. There's this debate uh, Gail Simone and I believe Mark Wade have been having on Twitter about whether or not... Yeah, I love that. Uh, Cyclops' optic blast 
generate heat. They don't. Well, and that's the thing is they keep showing each other panels. Oh. And they keep showing panels of like steam coming out of the visor. Yeah. And like and like blasts coming out and things melting when it hits it. And it all depends on the artist. In fact, the Marvel Legends X Factor Cyclops I have has steam coming out of the yeah. the visor. Paul Smith just drew it like it was a like I said like, a, like it was a like flashlight a beam of light. Yeah, My and it favorite. was like it didn't come shooting at you. It, it was just on, and everything that happened to be where it was yeah. was now destroyed. And right. I love that. My favorite uh, two issues of Fantastic Four is uh, either two forty nine and two fifty, or two fifty and two fifty one. I can't remember. John Byrne, and it's the Gladiator fight. Gladiator shows up. He thinks that FFR scrolls and he attacks, but then the X Men show up and get in oh, the fight. I love that. Yeah. My favorite fight in comics. It's his books. first attempt as Superman because he draws Gladiator yes, exactly like the Superman. way he drew his Superman yeah, a few years it's later. It's awesome. I had him sign that issue. Oh yeah, and then I sold it. My brother in law gave me those oh, issues my. when I was a kid, and I fell in love with uh, comics because of those issues. Um, the uh, there's a scene in it where a scroll is disguised as Cyclops and he shoots the thing. And the thing's like, what the hell was that? He's like, I've been on the receiving end of optic blast before. He's like, they don't burn. Mm. And it's like right there. They don't burn. It's like, uh, that's how I'm like, I don't care anything else to me. They don't burn. Cause it's like, that shit was when I was a kid, it's like locked in stone. The greatest thing in the world this week. This week, you said you had three greatest things in the world. Oh, yeah. And I don't have any. Oh, so good. Well, you yours get the rest of the episode. Oh, uh, that's interesting. All right. So first up, uh, I, uh, uh, been, we mentioned on the show recently that I've been reading um, Cosmic Odyssey. And I've never read it before. I wanted to read it because Mike Magnola is a genius. And um, I'm slowly working my way through it because they're a lot longer than normal issues because it's the 80s. And they were prestige format too, because oh, they were okay. like forty-eight issues, forty-eight yeah, page issues. Page, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so I just read the second issue, and uh, growing up reading comics, my Green Lantern, as I said, was Kyle Rayner. That was the Green Lantern like I started with. But then Kyle Rayner meets all the other Green Lanterns throughout the course of his early career, and one of the Green Lanterns he meets is John Stewart, who at the time was in a wheelchair, wasn't Green Lantern, and he this they always talked about this thing. John Stewart did. He blew up a planet. And I was like, oh, that's really crazy. And John Stewart was really kind of remorseful about it. It was like this defining moment of this guy's career. So flash forward 20 years, and I'm reading Cosmic Odyssey, not knowing what this book is, other than Mike Mignola draws it. I'm reading the second issue, and John Stewart and Martian Manhunter are all everyone the, they assemble like a team of like seven or eight heroes, and they all split up into teams of two and go out to different planets to try to stop the anti-life equation. And um, John Stewart and Marsh Manhunter go to a planet and they're running around and the planet's name is Exanchi or something like this. I'm like, that's a really familiar name. I'm like, this must be Starfire's homeworld or something. Like, I couldn't remember the name of the fucking planet. And John Stewart's kind of being a jerk. He's very arrogant. I'm like, this isn't John Stewart. I'm like, what are these guys writing John Stewart like this? This is not his character. And then at one point in the story, he basically puts Martian Manhunter in like a cube. And he's like, you hold out here, buddy. I'm going to go take care of this problem. I got this totally covered. John Stewart's like, or John uh, Jones, the Martian Manhunter's like, dude, don't. Like, what if you need me? He's like, I'm the Green Lantern. He's like, I have the most powerful weapon in the universe. It'll be fine. I'll be right back. And he takes off. And he gets to this bomb, this like antimatter bomb, and the thing's painted yellow. And the guy just like the bad guy just like flips the switch and it explodes and it uh, it wrecks the planet. It decimates a planet of billions of people. 
And it, it was like, it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize over the course of reading this issue that this is this is the fucking thing that changes Jon Stewart's character. This trajectory changes his uh, whole career. And at the end of the issue, it's like Jon Stewart's like floating on an asteroid all beat up and Martian Manhunter like flies over to him and he's like, this is the second planet I've watched get destroyed, you know, because like Mars and stuff. And he's like, uh, I'll never forgive you for this. And he just kind of like flies off and leaves Jon Stewart like floating on this asteroid. And uh, it was like uh, another, we mentioned like the brood having this like horrifying reaction of the brood. And it's the second time uh, in the last like year and a half where this thing happened. I read in a comic and it's like, I just felt this like wave hit me of emotion. Like, holy shit. Like you do feel Jim Starlin, I think wrote this. You do really feel like the weight of what this character just did uh, by kind of, you know, being arrogant and stuff. And um, they did a really, really good job. So it's like awesome, awesome, awesome comic. <coughs> uh, by the way, I, I want to give you points for using the word decimate properly. Oh, did I? Cause, good. Yes, because decimate means to reduce it to one-tenth, and there's like little asteroids left. I'm like, that's what decimate means. And it just reminded me how pissed off I was. Uh, <laughs> there were so many reviews of Infinity War, and I'm not a grammar nerd. Yeah. But there were so many reviews of Infinity War, they were like, Thanos decimated the universe. And I'm like, no, it was half. He halved the universe. He, he halved the universe. He halved it. Yeah. It's... I was like, there's 40% more of the universe than you are giving credit yeah. for. <laughs> Number two. Number two. Uh, um, uh, so uh, I don't care about foreign movies at all because I'm an American. <laughs> but uh, my buddy Craig, my boss over at the um, motion source over here, uh, he's been on the show many moons ago. And he was like, dude, just watch this uh, foreign movie with me. It's the third in a trilogy. And he's like, you don't need to see the other two to watch this movie. And the movie's called Detective D. And it's just like a Chinese movie. And uh, I only watched half of it. But it was, it has got terrible reviews. It's on Netflix. It's got like one star review. This movie's phenomenal. It is like, uh, it's kind. I'm trying to think of like how like a good way to describe it. It's like Kung Fu Hustle set in like ancient China, but without all the Looney Tune elements to it, without all like the silliness. It's like incredible uh, character design. The set pieces are incredible. It came out in like 2016, 2017. The the, uh, computer graphics aren't great because China doesn't have like the budget of like an Avengers, obviously. But um, just like a really, really, really well done, visually like awesome, crazy, uh, irreverent like uh, story. It's like a guy, he's like the greatest detective in China, and uh, he gets hired to they they give him like a weapon. It's like the most powerful weapon in the country, and he's got to you know be responsible for it because he's like this trusted guy. And then the queen uh is worried that it's gonna like take away her power so she hires like all these like crazily goofy looking like assassins to like go after him and get this thing and uh uh there is like a cultural divide for me like i have a hard time i think with multicultural stuff in the sense of like entertainment this is why i couldn't get into like doctor who and i have a hard time with like foreign tv shows um and there's a little bit of that with this movie i was having a hard time like getting through some of like the um I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a cultural divide. Like, I don't I don't think I understand. Uh, it's not anyone else's fault. I'm like an idiot. You know, it's like I, I was I'm not, I'm not grasping it. Um, but what I've well, seen, country, I really, really like. Every country kind of has different values that they lean on. And it, it can be jarring to go like, well, we, why do why do we all care about this? Why don't we care right. about this? Because you're thinking about it from an American point yes. of view. I had a hard time with anime 
for a long time yes. because of that. Anime is very hard for me to get to. I like anime. I've seen a lot of anime I like, but it's there. It, there's a barrier to entry uh, that's it's more about me than about what I'm trying to ingest because clearly a lot of other people can get over these like hangups. Um, but uh, there's supposed to be this like crazy sea battle. <coughs> Excuse me. In the second one where they like fight this giant like sea monster. And it's like, uh, I just like crazy, goofy, throw everything in the kitchen sink into a plot movies and um it's like interesting to try to see this from like a foreign perspective number three uh, so the last thing is uh laney uh in, like months ago it kind of went crazy buying like tickets to go see shows uh like just like local musicians and people smaller bands kind of going in and around chicago and we went to go see um this guy i think he's got a band but they weren't there it was just him and uh, it was called it's called Radiator Hospital, and uh, I don't know anything about music. I don't pretend to know anything about music. But we went to this bar. It was really nice to just be out and kind of like enjoying it with this kid. And uh, this guy just like wails <laughs> into the microphone. It's like sad wailing music, and I love it. And uh, <laughs> I'll try to find the uh, uh, the song to share on the Facebook page. If you haven't heard this, it's, it's a song called Our Song. And uh, just it's just sad. It's screaming. It's emotional. And this guy just was like a delight on stage. He just kind of ran through one song after the other, gave very little time to like pause in between. I don't know if he was going through something. He looked like he was working something out on stage. And then the last song, he just like put down the guitar and just wailed in the microphone for like two and a half minutes. I've done that. And yeah, and I I just um, uh, I'm not a musician. I don't know anything about music. But if I was going to be a musician or I was going to sing, I would sing exactly like this guy does. <laughs> it was just adorable. Uh, so it was just like a good week of good, a uh, lot of good stuff coming in uh, that uh, I'd, I would highly recommend. Well, if you'd like to tell us what you're into, um, let's make this a little more specific. Well, what is your favorite underrated run of a comic? We've mentioned yeah. uh, probably seven or eight of them. What do we miss? Um, I know I wanted to talk about Roger Stern's Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, Roger never Stern's got Avengers to it. I really like is underrated. Yeah. We could go on for hours, but uh, why don't you guys let us know? Here's a perfect place to do it. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Comics. That's where uh, we post all of our news stories and all the things that are happening. We would love to hear from you. If we get enough stuff, we could do a whole show just on what you'd recommend. Maybe you've, maybe you're into something we've never read. Uh, but the other thing, if you want to talk to us directly, I am a not in my book on Facebook and Instagram. So, and Stephen, where are you? I'm on Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan. Uh, you can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, 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 Spotify. Spotify. And with that, yes. we will talk to you next week.